writer of Hebrews has, uh, in a very, very effective way, told us what he did. He, he became one of us so as to suffer and die because it isn't possible for, for God, who is eternal, to die. And so he came to be enfleshed so as to be subject to, to death as a penalty for our sin. So he's the substitute, that stroke. Sometimes we call it a stroke. Uh, which he absorbed was for our sin. It was due us, but he took the penalty of our sin upon him. That's what the cross is, is all about. That magnificent cross you see uh, out there is, is not just a, uh, uh, something put there because it's beautiful. It means everything to those of us who call ourselves uh, Christians. It means it's a love letter, that cross. It means the Lord Jesus said, I left the comforts and privileges of the heavenly places where with I shared intimacy with the Father from before time, and I left it behind so as to share in your experience, but for the exception of sin. He never had the experience of sin. Can you imagine that? He's really perfect. He's really holy. And he did it so as to subject himself to the end of life, death. He was murdered is what he was, uh, though innocent for you and I, the guilty ones. And so the writer of this letter uh, says, in light of all of that, therefore, and then he calls us brethren. It's a family term. I really love it. It doesn't say associates or anything like that. It is much better. It says brethren, brothers and sisters. It's a family term. Another thing, some of you are new believers, and it's really wonderful. Some of you are thinking even tonight about becoming a Christian. That's why you're here. What is it to know Christ in a personal way? Well, you get not only forgiven, but you get adopted into a brand-new family. It's the kind of family you and I never had before. It's made up of all diverse people around the world. You come to have family members uh, all over the place, and, and you have everything in common, though there be superficial differences. You realize you've been empty, and you came to the Lord Jesus as Savior, and he filled you up, and, and, and now you're, you're like a kindred spirit with all the other spiritual kin who are also Christ followers around the world. And so I love the term brothers. Again, not just associates or not just friends even. It's better than that. Family members, therefore brethren, family members, since we, so he's not talking to any except those who are in the family, since we have confidence. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you don't have confidence about what this writer is talking about, I hope you do before you leave tonight. Since we have confidence to do what? To enter, to come in. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place. Now the writer is writing to Hebrews. They're Jews. But it applies to all of us. Let's not just leave it with the Jews. But since he's writing to Jews as his intended original audience, he's using words they could relate to. And we need to explain it a little bit. When he says, have confidence to enter the holy place, he's referring to a place in the temple which used to stand in Jerusalem thousands of years ago. It was a place where God established his presence, and that's why it became holy. Wherever God establishes his presence, it's holy. It is set apart. And they didn't have confidence to enter the holy place. They were afraid of being close to God because he's like a consuming fire, you see? And and this writer is saying, therefore, in light of what Christ has done, you, brethren, family members, uh, you, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, and here's why, by the blood of Jesus. 
by the blood of Jesus. Some people say that's so grotesque for you people uh, to believe in this uncivilized thing that God would require shed blood. Oh, no, it's not like that at all. It's an inexpressible gift. Blood means life. Life has to be forfeited in order to redeem lives on their way to eternal damnation. We don't see it to be a savage thing. We see it to be an inexpressible gift of grace by the Father to permit, even to call for, uh, the shed blood of his own son in our place. Don't you see? And because of it, the writer is saying, because of the blood of Jesus, not our merits, nothing like that, but because of the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the holy place. He's writing to us. Hallelujah is right. So we do not need to go into God's presence trembling, as many are prone to do. No, we can go into God's presence boldly and, as it says, with confidence. Why? Because we know that God is not going to give us justice. Did you know that? He's not going to give us justice. Well, then what happened to justice? God took it and put it on Jesus. That's where justice went. He suffered and died. The father laid it on the son's shoulders. They were whipped, shoulders, beaten to a pulp, crucified, through. He was broken. His body was broken. It meant it became lifeless after a period of excruciating uh, suffering. That's where justice went. And because the Father laid justice on the Son, Jesus, therefore that Father can give us not justice. In other words, not what we deserve. Instead, uh, we can expect when we draw near to him, not justice, but mercy. You don't want justice. Please, please, don't ever say, oh God, that's not fair. Please, you do not want to know God on terms of fairness. That is to say what you deserve. No, you, you want to know the Father on the basis of mercy mercy and that's how we come in other words when we draw near to God this is a struggle for us but we got to get it when we draw near to God we draw near as a child not as a stranger that's kind of rough isn't it now John Mark who I love and mess with all the time he he tells the best the best stories I just uh, I don't think I'll ever forget what you just said about you carrying the bag uh, thinking you did but your father was really carrying the load. John Mark, that just communicates. Uh, it's just absolutely wonderful, I'll tell you. For a guy who's a mere uh, singer, that was great. <laughs> I really, it's just amazing to me, the grace of God. But, 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 but and then John Mark spoke about his father, his strong and present and loving father. Um, but, 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 but some of you cannot have that, uh, cannot speak of your dad in those terms. It, it hasn't been that way. So if your experience has been, for instance, with a dad who, who wasn't there for whatever reason, or was there but not there emotionally, for, for, it's going to be a little harder for you to imagine you can come as a child to the father. You don't, you don't have anything to hang that on. But hang on, that's what it means to be born again. For you who are new to the faith, you've heard the term born again. Well, not, not, not physically, better spiritually. 
It means you're in a new family now. It's a new beginning. You've been adopted, and you are being parented by the perfect father nobody ever had, you see? So you have to learn, we all do, to come. Some of it's a little harder. We have to come as a child, not as a beggar, not as a stranger. You know what a child could do? A child could rush in. A child doesn't need an appointment. Do you know over the years, have you ever seen these magnificent uh, photographic opportunities, say in the Oval Office in the White House, where a sitting president, if he had, if he had children, sometimes you see the children in the Oval Office, sometimes under the desk with their dad, the president, sometimes on the desk, sometimes uh, on the president's lap, and president's always dressed, looking dignified and in a suit. Nobody, none of us would dare enter in. You don't charge into the Oval Office without proper dignity and formality and protocol, um, um, unless you're the son or daughter of the president. And then somehow, because of who you are, the child of a dad, that dad, then all dignity and formality is ruled out. Protocol is not required. You can charge in just the way you are. You can come in with holes in your jeans and smudges on your face. You can come in with a running nose, and the most powerful man in the world will never rebuke you for it. he never say, are you on my agenda today? I don't remember having this. But that's how our Father wants us to come, you see? Don't worry about formality and protocol. It's through the blood of Jesus. Don't you see? We don't see that to be a horrible, negative thing. We see it to be the most beautiful thing. It's a, it's an, it's a sign that says, come on in, come on in. This is the way. Not your own merits. You don't have enough. Not your own virtue. No, no, you, 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 that won't pass muster. Not your own righteous deeds. You can never do enough righteous deeds to be equal to holy God. We all fall short of the glory of God. But because of whose you are by the blood of Jesus. You can charge in to the throne room of grace. Don't worry about dignity and formality and all the rest. And, and that's how we're invited to draw near to God. On one occasion, the Lord Jesus was in great distress. The Bible, again, if you're new, the Bible is very honest. The Bible just sort of tells it like it is. And even this Jesus experienced emotions. Did you know that? That's why he's a God you could relate to. He's no, no force, you know, may the force be with you. He's not impersonal. He's a person, and he has feelings. And on one occasion, the feelings were very weighty because he was envisioning uh, uh, his destiny, an event yet ahead of him. And in human form, it was weighing on him. And so he went to a place, and it was a garden, and he oft went there. Oh, it was crowded and congested in many of the places he went to. But he was in, when he was in distress, we could learn from this. He went to be alone with the Father. We could do that, too. That's called prayer. That's called communion. Sometimes we use the term communion. Co-union. Coming together in union with the Father. And so he went to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, what happened is told us in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. We read, he was saying, this Jesus was saying to the Father. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup. And it was a cup of suffering before him. It was the cross. Remove this from me. Yet, 
Boy, we could learn from him. Not what I will. Wow. But what you will. And what I notice and what I hope you notice is how he came to the father. He came as a hurting child to a loving parent. He called the father Abba. He called the uh, one who has no beginning nor any end. He called the one who spoke all things into existence and in the power of his word. He called the one who's not bound by space and time. He transcends it all. He called the one who is in the heavenlies. (laughs) He called that one Abba, Daddy, Papa. My goodness. This is the way typically Jewish children then and now address their dads. That's not unusual for a Jew to call his dad Abba. But it's highly unusual for a Jew to refer to his God as Abba. Oh, no. God is big and distant and unapproachable. You see, that's the notion of Jewish Theology, it might be your personal thinking as well. I hope we can correct it even tonight. He is big, but he also came near. Jesus called him Abba, Father. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be just magnificent if we could, we could approach God the same way? We can. We can. You see, the term Abba, Daddy, Papa, It applies to us as well because we belong to the Father as well. This is not my words. I'll share this with you. Romans chapter 8 verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. See, we once once had it. Leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. By which we cry out, Abba, Father. Oh, my goodness. This is part of what happens now that you're a Christian, or if you choose to become one. The same intimacy and access the Son of God had to the Father is available to us as sons and daughters of God. Abba, Father. So we don't come as beggars Uh, You know, uh, through the back door. No, 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 no. We come as sons, always welcomed by the one who loves us, accepts us, and matters most. In Jewish theology, the presence of God was to be feared. We don't even mention the name of God. Do you know that? We, We call him Hashem. Hashem means the name. Ha means thee, and Shem means name. We don't name God. We call him Hashem because he's so unapproachably holy. I remember as a Jewish kid, uh, I had a Bible, uh, not, not both Testaments. Uh, ours was just part of the story, sadly. And, and uh, I had it, and I went to one day school. We call it yeshiva. It's a religious school. And I had, on top of the Bible, other books, school books. And the rabbi rebuked me in front of the whole class because I showed disrespect to God's word by putting it under other books. And there was a penalty. I had to fast. I had to miss lunch 
on that particular. You know, I, 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 I'm not saying it was such a bad thing. <laughs> it, it gave us the notion, God's not our co-pilot. He's not the big guy. Have you heard of people refer to God as the big guy? Oh, no. Oh, no. He's God. He's transcendent. He's a consuming fire. He is holy. So in Judaism, maybe in your religious background as well, we have this. I'm not saying it's entirely unhealthy. I think it's a rather healthy notion of respect. That's what's called to be God-fearing. You respect God. You see what I, I mean? So that's the notion we have. In fact, in the old days when we had a temple, a very holy place was divided into two rooms. The first part was called the holy place. The second, the holy of holies. They were divided by a veil or curtain. And why was there a curtain between the two? Is that keep you out? Not only could you not go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies, but the curtain kept you from even looking in. Don't you see? That's the holy place where God established his presence. Only the high priest, Aaron, could go through that curtain. And he, only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and this after manifold, elaborate ritual purification ceremonies and Washings and, and then with fear and trepidation, with a with a, a, a rope tied on his ankles and bells uh, on the hem of his garment. So while he was doing his ministrations in there, the people outside knew he was alive. He didn't get struck dead yet by God. But if the bell noise stopped, oh my goodness, that means he's dead. He died in the very holy presence of God. We got to get him out. But you can't go in there. Only he can go in. So you pull him out by the rope. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. But this is not the case if you're a Christian any longer. For those of us who know Christ as Savior, we have access to that God we have never had before. And now we come, just as it says in verse 20, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. The veil, this curtain I'm speaking of, was thick and it separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It was a barrier keeping people at a distance from holy God. And then we read this in Mark chapter 15, verses 37, 38. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. He's dying. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. He died. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When his body was torn, so too was the curtain. You have two objects, the cross on which Jesus died, and the curtain. In appearance, the cross is ugly. And the curtain is beautiful. But in reality, it's really the other way around. It's the cross that's beautiful. The curtain is really ugly. Because the curtain declared, even without words, quite an ugly message. It was this, keep your distance. Stay away. Don't draw near. But the cross has a beautiful message. It's this, come close. 
you are forgiven. I love you. Draw near. That's a beautiful message. When Jesus died on that so-called ugly cross, the so-called beautiful curtain was torn in two, and thus from the cross comes a beautiful message. The message is, I have made a way. I am the way, and it is a new and living way. Now, you see that word new in verse 20? I really got juiced this week as I was studying. I really got juiced. If that's, that's probably not the right word. I got excited. See, this word new, it's English, but underlying it is it's a foreign word, Greek. So I was searching it out. What does that mean? So in Greek, they have a lot of different words for new. They all look like one word, new, in English. But this word for new is rare almost never used in the New Testament. And here's what this word, right here in verse 20, this is what this word new means. It means freshly slaughtered. It's new in that sense. Freshly slaughtered. What is the way now? What is the means by which one such as me and you, filled with flaws, sin even, what is the way? That with confidence we can follow so as to have bold access to an otherwise unapproachably holy God. The new way is the freshly slaughtered sacrifice of the Son of God. Freshly slaughtered? He died 2,000 years ago. But what he did was once and for all and therefore what he did is always freshly available for anyone, even tonight, who says, Oh, Lord Jesus, you sacrificed for me. Come into my life. You be the way whereby I can be united to the Father forevermore. He's the freshly slaughtered sacrifice it's his body but how can a sacrifice bleed and die and still be a living way see it says a new and living way i guarantee you the old testament sacrifices were dead those animals never bounced back from that condition ah but here's where they are not the real thing jesus is not a dead sacrifice he's alive he's risen in fact, he's seated right now at the place of authority, the right hand of God, and he's interceding for one such as you and I. He's resurrected from death, interceding for us, and his one sacrifice has made the way living because he is living. This is why you cannot argue me out of my salvation. Some try. You cannot persuade me I could ever forfeit it. Try. Better ones have. And I'll tell you why. If you point out my own limitations, you win. But forget about that. The reason why I know my salvation will endure in spite of me is because of the freshly slaughtered, enduring sacrifice of the living Lamb of God. For as long as he lives, I too shall live. Don't you see? 
If he dies, I'm dead. It's over. You tell me when the salvation work of the Savior comes to an end, when in point of fact the Savior has no end. He remains an interceder, mediator between me and holy God forever. That is the basis of the security of the believer. Don't leave home without it. And since verse 21, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. And there we have it. The grand invitation. The grandest, the greatest of all time. Let us draw near. This is the mandate. This is the commandment. In fact, in this passage of scripture, it is the only thing we are commanded to do. Draw near. But why do we need to be commanded to do such a thing? Well, I don't think the commandment would have been given if we didn't need to be commanded to do it. <laughs> that God, who's real smart, commanded us to do this implies we would be prone not to do it. In fact, sometimes we so doubt that we have God's favor, even though we be Christians who've come by the blood of the Lamb, Sometimes we so doubt he will have us just as we are. We need not to be invited in a subtle way. We need to be commanded. Do it. Draw near. That's the imperative. In light of what Jesus has done, you do this. Draw near to God. And this exhortation, this commandment, do you know it's given to Christians? It's given to Christians. And apparently we need this commandment because we can be God's kids, fully God's kids, who develop a problem of drawing near. Has this happened to you? You don't have to answer. It has happened to me at different times in the Christian life. I think it's called losing our first love. Things happen. I don't know what it is where we just, for whatever reason, drift away. And if we lose our intimacy... With the Father, we lose our joy. It isn't any fun coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, giving, serving, going. It just becomes a, a laborious kind of a thing. Don't you see why a very wise God issues this commandment? Draw near, draw near, draw near. We're not going to make it, don't you see, without intimacy. Our sins are forgiven. Please, don't misunderstand. I'm trying to make the case that that's a done deal. But the road to our heavenly resting place can be quite rocky if we live life, though we be children of God, as if we ain't. If we keep God at a distance, though we be saved, nothing's going to work. Maybe that's what's happening with you. Don't be ashamed about it. Just be honest about it. So we have the commandment to draw near. How? With a sincere heart. We don't take this lightly. This is deadly serious. You cannot be a half-time child of God. you got to be authentically, sincerely sold out. So the mandate is draw near. How? With a sincere heart. How else? It says in full assurance of faith. Be fully assured of what? That by faith... The blood of Jesus has made the way for you in spite of you. It does not say draw near 
in full human effort to do all kinds of good works so that you can win the favor of Almighty God? How could you win something you already have? So it says, draw near in full assurance of faith. And you say, how? How could I do this? How could I have such assurance? Well, here it says right here, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's Old Testament wording. Those are the ceremonies. Everything had to be washed in the old days on the outside. The priest had to be cleansed. Everything had to be washed. Everything had to be sprinkled with blood. That's the way it was. But it was all external. It had nothing to do with the inside of a person. It could change nothing on the inside. just kind of cleaned up a person on the outside. Never got deep within. But when you and I opened our needy and sinful hearts to Jesus, he came in. (laughs) He sent his spirit, holy, holy spirit, who took up his abode in our life, never to depart. And he filled us as a cleansing agent with new thoughts and new ways and new values. It's all the work of God so that you have been and are being and forever will be cleaned up on the inside and on the outside by the once and forever freshly offered sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see these phrases, having our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed. Um, This was another thing that just got me excited. I found out those verbs are in the original language. They're called perfect tense, perfect. You know, like we have past, present, and future. But in the language of the Bible, there's like a ton more senses. I think that's why God chose to give us the New Testament in Greek because it's so precise. So, so I'll tell you what this means. A perfect tense means this. Something happened in the past one time. And that one time happening is so complete and full that it is sufficient to give you benefits forevermore. That's the tenses here. Because of the one time shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are habitually, continuously, and forever ones who have our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. It's all the work of God. I I think our biggest struggle as Christians is to figure out what we are heirs of. We have more than the average one of us is living up to already. Because of what Jesus did in the past, you and I in the present are in a state of being clean in the eyes of God. And one of the things that keeps us from drawing near to him is we still feel plenty dirty. I think it hurts God that we wrestle over something we need not. He already made us clean. You know, I want to tell you something. If you think someone in this room has something against you, you will not sit near that person. You'll sit as far away as you could. That's just the way human nature is. You know, we'll leave and we'll go out in the lobby. We'll make our way to the car. And if you happen to see the person you think doesn't like you coming, oh, my goodness, you're going to drop into the bathroom or something for a while. That's just the way it is. So if you and I think God is holding something against us, even though we be saved, 
we're not going to be comfortable drawing near. So it's very important for us to know because of what Jesus did back here. The Father doesn't hold anything against us. He sees us to be just as if we have not sinned. So let me tell you this. Um, when it all started, God breathed life into the first man, Adam. Can you think of this image? Have you ever given anyone mouth-to-mouth -mouth respiration? Have you ever done that? Oh, my. That is disgusting. I mean, you got to, like, brush. Almighty God. He did not create man from a distance. Think about this. He breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living being. Isn't that good? You know what that means? Intimacy. That means the Father created us with intimacy. God did. And for intimacy. But then first man. And he's just us. First man sinned. And woman sinned against God. And everything was made bad. There was a separation now. Sin interfered with intimacy between creature and the creator and you know what man did we're not so smart man hid where did he hide amongst the trees who made the trees the God who he's hiding from I want to know where you're going to run in this world to get away from God and and, and and not only can you not do it it's a stupid thing to do when in fact he ran to you you're running away from him Jesus came why are you running don't Run to him. So, so, so man ran away from God. And the reason man did is because he began, because of sin, to fear God. That's kind of what, what happened. God wanted intimacy with man. Man was afraid. And that tendency to fear intimacy with God continues in us down to this very day. We just fear it. But there's no need to if you're a Christian. Why? Because his perfect love for us manifested, evidenced in the shed blood of Jesus is meant to cast out fear. Don't you see? See, you are God's child. Don't be afraid of intimacy with him. We are afraid of intimacy with one another. You know, we don't want one another to know each other fully because if we don't like what we see, someone doesn't like what they see about you, you're all you got. What are you going to do? But that's not going to happen. God knows everything about you. See, he's God. And he says, I love you. Come to me. He didn't just pronounce the verdict of forgiveness, which would have been enough. He also said, come home with me. That's what adoption means. He said, but I feel so. It doesn't feel. That's right. Because we are not naturally gods. He is by nature holy, we are by nature sinful. That's what adoption means. Adoption means someone who doesn't share the nature of the adopting parent becomes part of the family of the adopting parent. That's what God did to us, you see. And so, and so God says you, you can draw near in confidence and full assurance for he has provided a new and living way. We used to live in... Uh, another part uh, of the area years ago, many years ago, 
and our kids were young. And uh, one, one of our boys was outside playing in the neighborhood. And on this day, there were a lot of other boys who, who were, uh, they didn't live in the neighborhood, but they were at the home of a kid who lived across the street. And all the boys were playing outside and doing what, what boys do. And then after a while, my son uh, came in, and he looked, he looked pretty down. And I asked him what was up, and he didn't say, and I finally got it out of him. And it looked like all the other boys were there on that day to celebrate the birthday of the boy across the street. And the parents of the boy across the street loaded up all the kids in their vehicles to go out and get pizza or do something to celebrate their son's birthday. But my son was not invited. It really hurt him. And it really hurt me as his dad. Have you ever had that experience of being left out, not invited, not included? It really, really, really hurts. And I only bring that up not to hurt you, but in getting in touch with those rejection messages which stick with us, I want you to know, if you're a Christian, you have now an invitation that is far better than any invitation. Draw near. Get close. Be confident child of God. Lord Jesus, what could we say but thank you? Thank you. <clears throat> this is not a religion, is it? It's really a family tie. And in this day of so much dysfunction in families, we cannot thank you enough for inviting us into a family relationship the likes of which perhaps we've never had. A perfect father who will never abandon, neglect, or abuse. A big brother, Lord Jesus, you, the only begotten son of God. A freshly slaughtered sacrifice, enabling us through this new and living, thank you, Lord, for rising up from death, living way, you've enabled us to commune with your Father as if he's ours. We, too, now can say, Abba, Father. Oh, God, if you had merely forgiven us of sin, we would be forever grateful. But it's much more than that. Thank you for the invitation to draw near. Oh, God. Keep those of us Christians who have drifted and are now living life distant from you. Keep us from it any longer. Thank you for the grand invitation. No, the command to reestablish, renew, revive holy communion with you. Boldly, confidently, not as beggars, but as children. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making it all possible. This we pray. In your most precious name, amen.